Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Leader. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Alexandra Sanchez. Alexandra is Director of Real Estate and Facilities for Americas at Organon. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm reconnecting with Alexandra Sanchez, who I met in New York in March at an event. We actually met at a, it was called the Champagne Roundtable, right? <laughs> and there was actual champagne, which I was surprised by. But what inspired me more than the champagne was what Alexandra actually talked about. So I asked her to come on and here she is. So thanks for taking the time, Alexandra. And hi. Hi, how are you? I had forgotten about the champagne. That was quite a surprise. Um, yeah, it was yeah. not the main character in these discussions, right? Well, I don't think people actually had a lot of it. It was more decoration. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Thank God, right? Yes. Otherwise, the conversations might have been even more sparkly than they were already, which exactly. kind of brings me to the meat of things as well. You work for Organon. I do. Maybe we can start a bit with uh, you telling us what Organon is and what your role at Organon is as well. Sure, I can do that. So Organon is a spin-off of Merck that was actually launched last June. We're about to be one year old and we are a company focused on women's health. So that's our mission and uh, most of our um, products and more importantly, our path forward will be centered around women's health. We do have other products that came with us from Merck, but that is our main focus. So I was with Merck previously, so I am part of the employees who came to the startup, quote unquote, because we're startup, I mean because we're about 8,000 people, give or take. 80% of the people who started the company came from Merck. So at Organon, I'm a director of real estate and facilities for the Americas. That means anything, everything from Canada to Argentina. And we do have locations in a good number of countries. Not in everyone, we do have locations in a good number of them. I can imagine. What is your professional background? How did you get to work in the field of workplace management? So I originally went to school for architecture. Mm-hmm. So I graduated as an architect and I also have a graduate degree in business, in marketing to be specific, <laughs> of all things, and a degree in project management, graduate certificate in project management, I should say. And I started working in real estate and facilities. When I moved to the United States, I started working at Bristol Myers Squibb in their space planning department. And I don't think I ever left. No, I never left corporate America. So that was kind of my introduction to real estate from the design perspective. I was in the space planning team for a few years, and then I moved to the project management team for the engineering organization at Bristol Myers. I did work as a project manager in facilities capital projects for a number of years, not only at Bristol Myers, but also actually at Merck through JLL. 
for about yeah. five years back when, and also in the financial industry for a few years. Then I transitioned into workplace strategy, and I was working in the financial industry as well in that area. And I moved to Merck again. So I that was my second time around at Merck and working as a workplace strategist. I moved to Organon on a more expensive role, right? My role is I have a lot more to do with operations now, mm-hmm. but we're also a more, much more compact organization. So there's a lot to learn and a lot to do. I would imagine since it's kind of a spinoff that the Siri team is more of a versatile team with a lot of hands-on many, many tasks, which I think makes things interesting. Yes. And I found it quite uh, remarkable that she said you come from marketing because quite recently I had someone on who said in workplace management, we should be more like marketers listening to our consumers of space to find out what they really, really need. Right. I should say, just to clarify, my first job after I graduated from architectural school was with a company that was starting, it was a residential design company, design and construction, mm-hmm. and they were starting a lighting design branch. And it made sense to them that somebody had to do know something about business or marketing. I was a recent graduate. I wanted to continue my education and I kind of went into that area and then I moved. So I never really got to actually be a marketer, if you will. But I know the theory. I mean, that's good enough. Right? <laughs> you mostly learn the stuff on the job, I would. Right. I would claim, now I'm always a little bit interested, what is the most common workplace configuration in Oregon? So what do the workplaces look like? And also what's the work model? I think nowadays we need to need to have a chat about that. Yes. So it's actually one of the more exciting things about coming to Oregon on from, from the perspective of real estate and facilities is that we were designed or our design principles and our real estate strategy were really very linked to who we want to be as a company. So when we designed our headquarters in Jersey City, we really were looking at what our values are and try to extrapolate design principles from those that reflected who we are and who we want to be, right? Generally speaking, our workplaces are ABW places, so activity-based workplaces that were designed with a very dynamic ratio, thinking of a very mobile workforce, both internally and externally. So we have a variety of spaces in every location. What's very interesting is, or I shall say, every dedicated location. And I make that clarification because another interesting thing about our real estate portfolio is that we have partnered with space providers such as WeWork and IWG in different parts of the world to have our physical locations for many reasons, right? Uh, One of them being the flexibility that they offer. We're a new company. We wanted to make sure that we had a physical footprint. And in some places, it was required that we did have a physical footprint, but we chose to go that route because that would allow us to expand and contract that footprint without having to invest a lot of capital dollars. So summarizing, 
activity-based workplaces, generally speaking. And the other very interesting feature is that we leverage space providers in many places. And I don't, I can't give you numbers of our portfolio, but I should say it's a really, it's a very high percentage of our locations that are with partnered with space providers. In those locations, we leverage their common areas. So if we were to speak of square footage, I will give you a deceivingly low square feet number, but that is the reason because we're leveraging their common spaces for our teams. Yes, I think that's what typically happens at co-working mm-hmm. spaces. Yes. And yeah, it's not representative then of the headcount numbers, but I think that we'll, in the traditional hyphen mark open space, we're probably going to be deceived by footprint numbers in the future as well because yeah, I think a lot of organizations are looking towards more creating more of this open, co-working, collaborative spaces and less of the desk spaces where you would actually count the numbers and the space efficiency. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely going to be interesting. So something that caught my attention or awareness during the event was actually when you said that the work culture at Organon is very mm-hmm. present and revolves around your purpose. So, and you mentioned as well that it shows very much in the workplace. I'm really curious how you did that. Yes. So when we were designing our global headquarters, we wanted to create a sense of place, a physical representation of this newly found organization. We wanted to create a lean, agile, dynamic workplace for a young organization. That was the vibe that we were going to for. At the same time, we were designing the, the headquarters in Jersey City. We were also working on defining our values as a company, and also working on our branding strategy, overall branding strategy. So all of that was kind of being cooked together and evolved together. So the design had to be adaptive and flexible or the team that was working on the design. One of the things that we did from the beginning was that we tried to uh, pull from our values, design concepts that would be the pillars of how the design was going to develop. So our values are be real, rise together, keep moving, bring your fire, and we all belong. And all of those terms, I mean, there's, of course, a more expansive explanation behind each one of them, them, but all of them are fundamental to who we are and who we want to be as a company. So design principles that we chose, that we understood were reflective of of those values, resulted in a welcoming workplace, open space, transparency, group settings or group-based workplace. We don't talk about my space, but it's our space. Things like we don't have strict delineations of neighborhoods, but, but more so soft borders, right? All of that within the context, as I said, of activity-based workplaces. The other thing that shows throughout the headquarters in particular, but everywhere that we have a physical location, is our branding strategy. In a very overt way, in terms of having the messaging and the symbolism and the colors and everything that represents our brand is present in our space and it's intentional and well thought out. We work in partnership with the corporate communications and branding team so that that identity is really infused in the physical workplace. 
And then there's other more subtle hints of who we are. You know, we try to use natural materials, softer shapes. So there's a femininity, if you would, Mm -hmm. to certain aspects of the design that we really cherish and and do that intentionally as well. So I think that's how it shows. (laughs) Yes. Do you see that that resonates with people as well? Are you measuring success of the workplace design and initiatives put in place? These are complicated times to measure success of the workplace, unfortunately. One little detail is that we launched our company, design all of that, both the physical space and the organizational values and the branding strategy as COVID was happening, right? Yeah. So it wasn't something that was done, you know, in a couple of months. It took time, but just look at your calendar a couple of years before June 2021, like most of the time we were working on launching this organization, we were basically sheltered in place. So we've been technically open since June of last year. Very, very mindful of wellness and safety because that is our number one concern that our people are safe, healthy, of course. But we never like really necessarily closed completely our doors. We did say, if it's not necessary for you or your team to be here, don't, right? And then we did make decisions around mask wearing or vaccines and things like that that kind of were foundational, but the office was pretty much open. With that said, we've seen waves of founders coming in to the office that have moved along with the COVID waves, if you will, right? So people started coming back to the office October, November of last year in in higher numbers, and then Omicron hit, right? So then the office is kind of empty again. What I can tell you without formal measurements is that our founders love our space. It is an inspiring place. The views are amazing. And what we're seeing is that not only people come to their office by themselves. But the big thing is that teams like to plan to be together at the office. So it's intentional. Mm-hmm. And it is really when when we have teams in the facility, the energy is palpable. It's really great to be there. In absolute numbers, we haven't hit the numbers that we would have expected to hit if COVID didn't exist, right? But it's increasing and we're very optimistic about it. We are mindful when people are in the office, we want to make them feel welcome. We want to facilitate their day at the office, if you will. So we're Mm -hmm. doing some of the things that you're seeing in other places, like providing lunch and snacks. And one thing I didn't mention, and I think it's very important in terms of the success of the workplace, is that our headquarters location in Jersey City, we leveraged the partnership with WeWork there in a different way. Because even though it was Mm -hmm. a space designed for Organon, and it's about 90,000 square feet that we have in three floors at the Goldman Sachs Tower, it is a space that it's operated by WeWork. So we mm. have a community team and we actually call them the magic team because they are our hospitality 
focused group. And that's their approach to everything they do for our founders is a hospitality approach. Of course, they do all the practical things that need to be done to operate this space, but where they differentiate or make our space differentiate itself from other places is precisely with that hospitality approach. So what I was saying when I remembered the magic team is that, yes, we offer things like lunch and snacks. We also have a calendar of events that we put together with that team just to make sure that people come to the office and have an opportunity to interact, to relax, to do a variety of things, but that they feel welcomed and they feel safe. Yeah. It's a little bit ironic that you're in the Goldman Sachs Tower doing all these great things around hospitality and activating the community. And Goldman Sachs just recently like took all their office perks away, like no free launches, no whatever anymore. So you no, I didn't know that. That's that interesting. Not. Yes. And Quite frankly, I think with the launches, and I've I've been in a couple of events lately where people have, we've talked about these perks, right, or amenities, however yeah. you want to call them. I think it is not if companies are trying to use that to attract people to the office. I think that's where things go wrong, right? People are not mm-hmm. going to come to the office just for lunch, and those who do that, then we have a problem, right? But I think if you approach it from a different perspective, like my people are not here every day, but when when they're here, I want them to be have what they need, right? And maximize their time at the office. So that's where we're coming from when we're talking about offering things like lunches. And another point is that we offer lunches, very basic lunches, right? On a regular basis. But also, a couple times a month, we like to bring in a local restaurant from the community and give them the opportunity to prepare lunch for us. So we use that also as a way to connect with the local community. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And as you said, if it's just about the free lunch, it's wrong. It's about the activation, about eating together, having an experience together. It's not about the getting something for free, really. Right. Yeah, you came from a very difficult position starting in June 21, trying to get any predictability around how much space do you actually need when you open and what are going to be the ideal work settings going forward. How did you tackle that? So I think our real estate strategy, which I mentioned at the beginning, that relies heavily on leveraging partnerships with space providers, I think that's the key for us like we didn't have to make long-term commitments, mm-hmm. generally speaking. We do have some facilities where we have longer-term leases, and we do have facilities that were conveyed from Merck, so they were previously a Merck site, mm-hmm. or we sublease from Merck a piece of the footprint that they have, or that they had, right? So, for example, in Mexico, we sublease one of the floors that Merck occupies. In our, and I'm talking about office portfolio only. Like I'm not even going to touch on manufacturing or research yeah. at this point. We're talking strictly about office portfolio. So for those locations where we have a longer term commitment or that were conveyed from Merck when the spin-off happened, there are some, again, 
longer term commitments and generally speaking, larger footprints in those locations. But for the rest of our locations across the world, and we're in more than 60 countries, we do have this fantastic partnership that is going to allow us to make decisions about growth that will be much easier than if you had to break financial commitment, long-term financial commitment, and so on. When we did choose that strategy, and I don't want to speak for others because I wasn't part of the team that did choose that strategy, I'm sure no one was thinking about COVID-19, but it just turns out that it couldn't have been better built for these times that we're living in. That's true. You kind of predicted what was about to come with your efforts to provide a culturally, how do I say that? A workplace that focuses on culture and bringing people together. Right. Yeah. Something that I hear oftentimes as an argument, and I think you brought that up as well, was like, there's differences in demographics regarding how they like to work. And a lot of times we're kind of prejudiced towards to think, oh, the younger generations, they want to be all loosey-goosey, not coming to the office at all anymore, or they want all the cool and hip things. But I think you have a view of uh, it being more nuanced than that. It is. It is. I think it is. I think when we focus in demographics, in Mm age-related classifications of the workforce, I think we're losing the nuances, you say, right? I think within every generation, there's different individuals that have different styles of learning and working, different personalities, different preferences in how they interact with people. But even all of that aside, I think more important than age or generational differences are differences related to the work that you do in itself, right? So what is it that you do? What is it required from you? Or what do you need to do your best for the company, right? So every time I hear like, you know, Gen Z, Gen X, or whatever, all those gens that we've kind of artificially section our workforce into, it's kind of like, kids. I don't think we're, it serves us well to think in those terms. I think the other perspective that we can think about the workforce in is career or life stage. So are you yeah. starting your career, right? And maybe you're starting because you just graduated, but maybe you're starting because you had, you decided to have a baby before, and now is when you're finally joining the workforce. I don't know, but the point is you're starting your career or you're reinventing your career. Do you have a family or don't you have a family? Is that in your plans or not? So I think all those considerations better inform an organization about their workforce needs than just Gen X, Gen Z, and everything else. And I think very much what you said as well, tying to the job functions as well. What are you supposed to do or what do you want to do as well has much more of an influence than am I 20 or am I 40 kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which is actually a, a nice way to pointing me to a question. Do you think there are certain new skill sets that as a workplace leader, We need to acquire to be able to enable hybrid work? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Mm. I think 
Yes, is the short answer. Exactly what new skills we need to acquire, if you will. Yeah. I don't have all the answers, of course, I don't want to, but what comes to mind is our role is much more tied to hospitality, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more about the people. Yes. It's more about the people's needs, right? And how they interact in this space. It's not so much about what they need in the traditional sense, because we always knew, you know, they needed a a work service and they needed a computer and they needed a place to meet. But it's, I think, more about understanding those dynamics. Skill sets that are important also is our ability to communicate with our stakeholders, the business. How do they want to conduct the business? How do they want to use the space for and also our ability to communicate and connect with our partners within our organizations, you know, human resources and IT. I think we all need to kind of do a carefully choreographed dance so that everything works together seamlessly, right? Because mm-hmm. if you can offer the more fantastic spaces and tell people you can be mobile around the office, but if your network doesn't work, your Wi-Fi doesn't work, that's a problem, right? So we really need to be uh, working closely with them. So communication skills, hospitality skills. And then I think the other important thing is we need to understand data mm-hmm. better, how it can help us make decisions, not data for the sake of data, but really we need to be able to ask ourselves and our partners within the organization What are the fundamental questions that we need to answer in order to understand what's working, what's not working, and what could be working better, right? So once we have that clarity through communication, we can start searching for that data and then kind of how to massage that data, clean it up and maneuver it, that it really tells a story that allows us to move forward with things like, you know, asking for funding, you know, deciding on changes to our locations that are really positive moving forward. So those are things that come to mind. More people skills, more data savviness, if you will, are the things that come to mind. Yeah, all really, really valid points. I want to pick up on two. One was the many stakeholders that need to be brought under one hat. And I think it's also about, and you said it well, the communication between them. And probably also the mediation between them because there's different needs from different groups and you can't do it all. We need to realize that there, at some point there needs to be a compromise, right. but it needs to be well communicated and there needs to be created a joint understanding of what, why we're doing one thing and not the other, for example, which is a fine line to walk. I understand that, but that's probably yeah where we're going to be moving. And the other thing is what you've said before with the more nuanced view of things. We can't expect to put things into these neat little boxes anymore. Even if we have the data story, data changes and behavior Mm -hmm. changes. And we cannot say, okay, today we read this from this data set and then we never look at it again because we squared it away. This is our neat little box. This is how our work culture is working now because people change with the seasons and with their job tasks and with their life stages. Right. No given t- 
time will be the same again. Right. Right. And I think if we could change one thing radically, it would be the speed at which we can make changes. And I know there are people out there experimenting with that, you know, um, designing offices or spaces to work that can be easily reconfigured and things like that. And I think that's great because that will allow us to really make changes in the short term, experiment in the true sense of the word, right? Whereas in the past, we've interviewed users or businesses, right? And we built a program and we've designed a workplace and built it. But by the time you built it, it had nothing to do with the people that you had interviewed before or even the organizations you had interviewed before. All of that could not even exist anymore. Not only in the sense of the individual person that you spoke with at that moment, but like the structure of the organization sometimes completely changed between those two points in time, right? So to your point, it's just a snapshot. But I also wanted to say that thinking back to the skills and the partnerships, one very important one that we didn't that I didn't mention, but you picked up on it in terms of communicating is a partnership with our communications teams. We want to make sure that we speak the same language, that we are delivering the same type of messages, right? And that we, together with human resources and IT, are opening avenues of communications because it's not only about pushing information, telling people what you need to do this, you need to do that, this is how you want, we want you guys to do this. But the only way that we're going to understand how the workplace is going to change after everything that we've been through in the last couple of years is by having a dialogue, right? Not only amongst ourselves, but also with our users and understanding what needs to change to serve them better now that they're working differently, because we are all working differently, really. Yeah. I have an idea of what the answer to my next question is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because I wanted to ask you, you've been in the practice of workplace strategy for a while in different organizations, different stages. Do you have a lesson learned around workplace strategy that you can share? Hmm. I think the main lesson learned is that Workplace strategy and workplaces need to be dynamic, right? I would go back to your own words. It's like it's not static. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. And you need to look outside of your own environment to understand what others are doing. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop talking to your people. It's really dynamic. Traditionally in design, it's a more linear process. And you're designing for entity or whether it's a family or a person or a company more. And I'm talking more about from the A side, right? So you are commissioned to do a design and build a place. So that's a more linear project process. Workplace strategy is a dynamic, constant dialogue amongst ourselves within our organization, but also with the outside world. Because at the end of the day, we need to understand what's happening outside so that we can serve our employees the best space we can for them to do their work. 
it's a lot of moving pieces and it comes a bit of a surprise to me that we didn't think of it like that before because when companies look at their products they do look at how the market moves and these kind of things and where the employees are has always been a question so yeah good lesson learned (laughs) and it brings me to my two closing questions that i ask all my guests (laughs) One is, if you could magically solve any workplace problem, what would it be? If I could magically solve any workplace problem, I would actually find a way to magically connect, magically clean all of the data that impacts our decisions and connect them. Just that Very would be my magic wish. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of workplace managers, strategists I talked to lately would have uh, liked that sorted out. So you would get a lot of supporters on that one. And then the last one, I like to say it's a bit of a selfish question as well, because I um, always wonder who else should I have on the podcast? And is there something you would like to ask them? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of people that I admire in this industry. That's a hard question to answer, actually. <laughs> we can also leave it at that and you give me your notes later. That's fine for me as well. <laughs> can I think about it or do I have to answer it yes. now? <laughs> no, I'm going to okay. give you an out on that one. You can tell me later. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. That's oh already God, a big question I had for you to take that hour out of your day. I appreciate that very much. My pleasure. And I, I will send you a list of about 10 people to interview. So <laughs> you ask for I'm it. I'm going to be busy. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there's more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. We've just released the Definitive Guide to Workplace Analytics, for instance. Or tune into our next episode of The Workplace Leader. <laughs>